Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. dedicated to Henry Foreman. In the year of the final the mammoth and horse, the man was the lord of the earth. He made him an hollow skin from the heart of a holy tree. He compassed the earth therein, the man was the lord of the sea. He controlled the vigorous steam, he harnessed the lightning for hire, he drove the celestial team, and man was the lord of the Episode 77 of Agitators Anonymous. This is a pretty special one. It's a really interesting chat with Jonas Jonas Renska from Catatonia. Um, before we get into that, over on Patreon.com, Alan Averill, you can be a member for a dollar a month. I don't really understand how the tiers work, so feel free to go over and have a look. There's other podcasts, other this and that, songs, rehearsals, etc. The show is sponsored by MetalBlade.com. If you're in North America, use the promo code ALAN to get 10% off your order. And Eisenwald Records, www.eisenton.de and .com in Europe and North America, respectively. Use the promo code ALAN and you will get the very same. Go over and take a look. The links are in the description below. Because this is a video cast, so over on my YouTube channel, you can go and take a look at our ugly old middle-aged mugs and how goth or whatever else we look. Um, Jonas is a thoughtful and introspective guy. This is a was a very entertaining and enjoyable chat to have. Um, we've had similar versions before and backstages around the place. Um, talking about the old days, the start of the band, why Catatonia kind of stood out. Maybe some of you do not know, but Primordial and Catatonia have a split 10-inch from back in 97, 96, 98, something like this. Um, they were in my fanzine back in the early 90s and were always one of my favourite bands back in the day. So we go all the way from the inception of the band um, all the way up to the new stuff and the 2000s and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of it is discussing 
discussing, discussing Brave Murder Day, the decisions that were made at the time, Jonas moving from singing to drumming, or vice versa, and all that kind of thing. Um, so here we go. It's episode 77, a chat with Jonas from Catatonia. Well, sir, how are you doing? All right. We just asked you that before I pressed record, so I actually know, but, you know, let's do it again. Um, yeah, it's, it's all good. I mean, um, you know, considering. <laughs> <laughs> or, or else it's not all good and we'll get into that. So yeah. you, you played in um, Bulgaria two weeks ago. What was that like? Yeah. It was uh, our first show in 18 months, I guess. You know, a lot of bands have that uh, time frame now uh, wh where they just haven't played a show for a long time. And yeah. we were lucky enough to do uh, a first one after this uh, Corona shit that's going on. So that was a relief and it was, uh, you know, kind of magical to be back on stage. So yeah. very nice, very nice. Yeah, we had the same thing, um, I guess the same 20 months off and... I suppose as we played in Germany maybe two weeks ago and then London just before that, and as restrictions began to begin loosened a little bit, so did my stress and tension and aggravation levels began, the volume began to be turned down a little bit yeah. uh, with them. But I found something really um, very simplistic and sort of kind of almost childlike and joyful in it again. It was weird. It was like uh, not a day had gone by, but also like a reunion after years. And I found we were all just laughing at the same stupid jokes and stuff that did you have like a total shit eating grin when you first stepped back out it's like oh yeah this is what it was supposed to be like yeah definitely i mean i think we all looked at each other and, and thinking like oh this is what it used to be you yeah. know and uh it was a bit surreal but also uh, a very comfortable feeling because you've done it before yeah. uh, you obviously had a break from it but uh you know, it was well worth the wait. I would say. I got. I wanted. I was thinking about this um, the last few days, and it, anybody who's listened to the podcast um, knows that I sort of had a lot of sort of, I guess, anger, frustration, and uh, the podcast before. You know, there's the video interviews, and then there's the pod podcast where I sort of ramble over topics. And certainly, I felt in the last six to eight weeks a, a, a kind of release of some of the pressure. And it's made, given me a little moment to sort of take stock of the last, what actually is 30 years when I think of it, of having an accidental career. You know that with Nail and I, we've gone on holiday by accident kind of thing. Yeah. Somehow it just happened by accident in all those years. Did you, how did it feel for you, the gap? Did you feel like, was it a pause for reflection or did you, were just occupied with other stuff? Or I've had a, quite a bit of introspection in the last month or two of like, my God, it's, it's been 30 years of a career, you know? Yeah. Um... I've had the same. I, I had bits of both, actually, because I, I tried to stay creative and try not to, you know, uh, lose focus too much because I know it's uh, it's easy that you kind of bury yourself in, in this whole situation and it, it will affect you more than it, you know, needs to be. But yeah. at the same time, of course, uh, I mean, Catatonia is this year actually celebrating 30 years so yeah, of course this yeah. gets to my mind and and you start to look back because you have the time to look back you're not into a, a tour schedule or an album recording or you know yeah. anything like that so it's it's kind of over, overwhelming and as you say 
I regard it just as as you do. It's it's um it's a career that's just by chance, basically. Yeah. Uh, for me, at least, I, I I don't feel like I was meant to do this. It was just a yeah like stepping on a banana skid and then you're in. <laughs> you, know? you just keep slipping down the stairs all the time. And you have yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm very much a person who needs something constantly to focus on and I get, I'm quite wound up and quite full of energy about everything. And the other guys around were just like, look, it'll work itself out. I wouldn't, and I'm still not so convinced that all of it will work itself out, but that's a different podcast. But especially once the anger kind of and the frustration subsided a bit, um, I, I totally, I know what you mean. It just felt like, I think that traditionally a lot of bands like who were making big livings and everything, they're in album cycle, album cycle. But when you're not quite within that, you're a little bit outside that. You do make some money, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes you do on festival season, sometimes you don't. Um, and once you take away the financial terms of it, you kind of realize what a strange and curious way it is to have a, a sort of like a big, long career that is outside of, let's say, mainstream expectations. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you, you must have friends. I had the same for me. As soon as we released an album, they thought you must be making tons of money. And then I have yeah. friends who come down here and go, so what have you got? So you don't have a family, you don't have a guitar. Or no, you, you have a guitar, you don't have a car, you don't have an apartment. I go, yeah, but sure, that's just the way it went. And they go, right, you have a career for 30 years, but you never got to buy a house or, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's quite strange how we measure it. But yeah. only recently have I really started to realize to measure it and just be like, so kind of, as you say, overwhelmed is a good word by how much stuff there is there, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, you know, as I said, it's by chance, but I mean, for some reason, we're still here. So we must be doing something right, at least, you know, that there must be plenty of bands formed in the same years as we, our bands that yeah. never made it. So, yeah. uh, Apparently some kind of talent or um, survival <laughs> skills. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like um, every band has a different, let's say, character in the sense that um, in Primordial, I was the guy, the guy who was relentless about my pursuit of pushing everything forward and I'll sort out yeah. the studio, I'll sort out the record label, I'll do the blah, 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 you know, I'll always very relentless, but having the, probably the least amount of talent, so could say. Yeah. <laughs> who, 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 you know, because you compensate, you have different jobs. Somebody else goes, oh, yeah, yeah, the numbers, I'll do the accountancy, I'll do the riffs, I'll do the whatever. Yeah. What's what's your job then? Do you think um, I think it's changed over time, actually, because in the beginning it was always, Anders was the, or he's still he's still more of a businessman than I am. Yeah. Uh, but he was also the, the, you know, the creative force in the band. He was uh, writing the music. Mm. Um, I guess my role in the beginning was more, you know, uh, a little bit more artistic maybe with the, the lyrics and the, the themes and, and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and over the years, it's, I guess it's continued that way because I, these days I write more of the music than I used to do and Anders is still the businessman. Uh, so he was probably what you were back in the day. The, I'm, I'm not sure I was a good businessman, but I was certainly the one with um, who's writing all the letters and was sort of uh, relentless in. Yeah, let's keep on going, you know. Whereas yeah, you know, exactly. I think that that was uh, his role as well because he was very, uh, and he still is very uh, focused on on you know the 
the career of the band and, and um, what we should do and what we shouldn't do and, and stuff like that. Well, I'm just, you know, trying to go along with whatever's happening, you know. Well, when, you're, when you're writing then, are you, what are you writing on or with, or is it is it different to Anderson's writing or has it has it changed since the beginning? Because obviously you've you moved from behind the drum kit to just just singing and stuff, you know. Yeah, I think in the beginning we uh, we used to jam a lot, just me and him, because he was playing the guitar, I was playing the drums, and he always had a, a, a bunch of riffs, and we had like a rehearsal room where we could rehearse for a couple of times a week. So it was always like filled with a lot of, um, you know, new riffs, new ideas, uh, uh, a lot of stuff coming together that way. But these days I do write with my guitar and, uh, you know, he, he does the same. Um, we don't jam these days mm. uh, because we, I think we realized early on that we're not that kind of bad, you know, the five guys in a rehearsal room trying to come up with a song. I, I don't think we're good enough for that. You know, we don't have that. Why uh, do you think that? Why do you think that? I mean, I, I like, I mean, the, the human process of five in the room is what I like. We sort of in between us, it's a mixture of laziness, Irish refusal to learn new, new technology and also stubbornness. We sort of figure that the humanity involved in shouting at each other is, is part of the process of, mm. of what makes the edgy part of the band what I like, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I know what you mean. I, I you sometimes I wish, or? yeah, we're, we're pretty much the opposite. And sometimes I wish we had more of that because it, as you say, it gives uh, like an edge to the music, maybe some uh, uh, extra excitement and, and, and you know, a, a soul maybe. Uh, mm -hmm. that we don't really get by writing separately and then just go to the studio, basically. But it's it's a way that's been working out very well for us the last, yeah. you know, 15, 20 years. And, and, um, and then, of course, we get together in the room uh, when it's time for a tour and we get a little bit of shouting as well. And, and you know, everything... That's also very good with with being in a band. Also comes with that, so it's uh, we get a little bit of both. So uh, well, we're just you, trying to balance. Yeah, I mean, I think it's called. I mean, I I think the the edge is the bit of humanity. Uh, not to be too great to you know throw that, that phrase around as in it because it's a very big kind of word, but it's the human process of. Um, everybody sort of, I might go, well, can we do it in a different key? Or what about that riff from that song three years ago? And, um, but when you're, do you, you put obviously, right, you're putting your lyrics to your riffs. How, what's the process that you go through? Because I'm a bit fascinated by this, of the process of putting your lyrics to somebody else's riffs. Because I find myself with my, my, my lyric books on paper, I write on the phone now which is feels yeah. weird, but it doesn't feel yeah. right till I've written it out on paper. And then I'm, I have a, I, the guys are playing and I have tons of bits of paper everywhere and I'm looking yeah. at books and I'm trying to think, I think I wrote a lyric that fits this mood 14 years ago and I take bits and like, what's, <laughs> I guess sort of crazy scientist or something. Uh, what's your, yeah. what's your, how do you figure it out though? Um, these days I, I only write actually when I have something to write to. I used to do 
a lot of writing and just keeping stuff lying around like you mm. like you do on 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 paper, pieces of paper um yeah scattered <laughs> and uh, but these days i don't think i have the the time really to sit down and, and write when i don't have to which is uh, um yeah i started but it, it's, on my phone which is weird yeah i do that a little bit but feels weird trying to to if i come up with a, a sentence or a phrase that i like i put it down on my phone but i try to you know focus a hundred percent when there is a song that needs lyrics and then i just go totally into that until it's done and that you know that might take a few days and uh but then i feel like this is my task for as long as it takes until this lyric is 100 to me good enough um and the rest of the time i don't think too much about lyrics because it it um I'm such a, a freak when it comes to lyrics and, and a nerd. It sort of devours me in a, in a little bit, you know. Um, so I try not to <laughs> focus too much on it when I don't have to, because I'm 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 you know I'm super. Uh, I love lyrics, mm. and um, it's such a big thing. I I don't want to think about it too much because it, it becomes um, a bit too uh, overwhelming. So, yeah, so. I know what you mean. I, I mean, I've, I've always been quite sort of wordy and interested in literature or English and stuff. And I, I, I do write on the phone, but I don't like the process and the screen. But I, I do kind of sometimes I it's the oddest times I'll sit, be sitting on like the train or something and I'll be thinking about something. Like lately, I've been thinking about this phrase, you know, like, um, what is it, plowshares to rust, swords to dust, something, blah, 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 must not be sitting there going, uh, and then I have the, uh, 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 and then, can I really do a little uh, <laughs> phone or something? Yeah. But I try and be, uh, it's, um, I try and have to have a moment where you just have to release it, you know what I mean? You have to let go. Like, yeah. moment where you're recording and you just go, that's got to be the final version of that. I don't, tell yeah, yeah. Like, do you keep going back and tinkering with things and fiddling with things? Not too much, because I, just like you, I think that, you know, at, at some point you have to say, this is done now. Yeah. And this is, uh, this is how it will end up. Uh, because if you go back, you will al allow yourself to go back once again and again, and yeah. it, you, you'll never be finished and you will be unhappy with the lyrics in the, in the end. So... I think it's like with vocal takes. Usually, the, the first one is the, the best, yeah. but you never go for it because you always think I can do better, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, I I try to to stay true to that, you know. The first, the initial idea is yeah. always not always, but most of the time, it's the best one. Yeah, I think you've got to try and go with the vibe of the mood, but also not make it try not make it perfect, so to speak. The idea of the the albums I loved from the old days had inflections and character and mistakes and things mm. within them. I always was really fascinated with the sort of Manila Rose, Sirith Ungal style of vocals as well as the Dio's. And I always thought, well, you know, I can be, if I'm somewhere and fall somewhere in between is some parts where people go, oh, that's a pretty good bit of, you know, diction. Yeah. There are other parts where you go, oh, well, there's a real Irish-ism in yeah. the word to okay. not allow someone to cut it all out, you know? Yeah. But did you find that yeah. because one thing I find about Swedes though is because you seem to learn English with an American accent when you started to sing, sing, did you find that you you 
weren't sure how your voice sounded because when I first heard my voice being sung back to me, like played back to me, I was like, I, I, I was like, what? I'm really, is that really how I sound making all these, you know, yeah, yeah. Irishisms? Did you find that? Yeah, I mean, as you say, we 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 talk with, I would say, you know, swinglish accent, but it's it's more leaning to towards the American. Sometimes, which is a bit weird because UK is and and England and, and Ireland, whatever. It's more, it's closer to us. Yeah, but it's I guess the TVs and the, the movies and everything that comes from from America. So, uh, but I I actually know what you mean because we we did once a song in Swedish uh, some years ago, uh, like a B side thing, and mm. when I heard it for the first time, I was like, "Is that how I sound?" You know. Because it has uh, a Stockholm accent, yeah. which I'm not aware of when I talk. <laughs> but when I heard it in the singing, I was like, "Wow, that sounds, you know, freaky to yeah. me." Yeah. So yeah, I know I definitely know what you mean. Well, I have a quite an anglicized, like a sort of thing in Ireland. They call it a West Brit, which is an insult. Okay. Which means like you're west of Britain. Um, okay. It's sort of like a left footer. Oh, that's going to get me into trouble. But it's like it's sort of it's an insult that Irish people give people who sound too. You know, I mean, they talk a bit like this in an English accent. Yeah. So I get that. So in the first Promonial album, there's a song that's in Irish. And it's, of course, it's me, Mafia Will the Joe, pronouncing it in my. Yeah. So I'm trying to be like I'm trying to be like Lord Byron, sort of, yeah. you know, <laughs> with some sort of velvet cloak, but talking Irish. And the all the still to this day, people come up to me and Mafia Will, you know, do the overpronounced Hammer Horror version of it that I did. And the first time yeah. I came back, I was like, wow, is that really, is that really how I sound? And my mates are like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you never know until you hear it, and, and then you go like, "Wow, that's insane!" You know. Mm. But it, it's funny though because you, um, I guess it's it's pretty much just the same. The same time I heard myself sing with like the, the death metal voice, yeah, on a recording because you you've done it in rehearsal room and you can't barely hear yourself and you yeah, just sure. scream. And then you hear it in in a studio version for the first time, and it's like, whoa, what's going on? Is this me? Mm. And that's also some kind of revelation. Like, mm. um, I can actually do this. And and because to me, when when we did our demo, it yeah. was the first time I would hear myself in that sort of context. When it's something is properly mixed, and you can hear your the vocals with a little bit of reverb on it and it sounds like wow it's pretty pretty good you know yeah well, let's <laughs> let's talk about that demo because that was on my things i wanted to talk to you about for me um jabba elohim meth or whoever way we say it um that's like for me that's top five demos of that era wow that's okay. like was a big influence on um even promoted we started in 91 same but we our demo didn't come out till 93 so I think that's the end of 92, right? Or start of 93, isn't it? I think mid, because it was summer when we recorded it. So probably June 92 or something. Yeah, because it's, I it's. I, I mean, I I got it from maybe somewhere at the end of 92 and Palace of Frost and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah. it was one of the first demos with, I think it was done in Unisound, right? Yeah. So it just but it was this, called Gore, Gore Sound at the Gore time. Gore Sound, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for me, that's like a top five demo of that period and i wanted to start well i'm gonna start but wanted to talk about that because it just seemed to have perfectly encapsulate that sort of black doom almost feel yeah. 
of, of, of the time, but you were just doing that as a two-piece though, right? What can you tell me about the early, the, the gory sound kind of thing? Because it seemed like Dan Swano really hit on a, I mean, from there on in, he had a whole bunch of releases and recordings that he hit out of the park for the next six or seven yeah. years, you know? Yeah, I, I think I, I was in touch with Dan before because he was in Edge of Sanity and, I, and we really liked Edge of Sanity. So I, yeah. um, I think I sent him some fan letter and yeah. then we stayed in touch. And, and when it was time for us to do a demo, when we had three songs that we thought were good enough, uh, I just called him like you did back in the day. You called on the phone yeah. and he was like, yeah, come on. Uh, so we just went there by train. It's like two hours from Stockholm where he was located back then in Finspong. And, uh, you know, we had no, we had zero experience. We had never been in a recording studio ever before. Yeah. Um, Anders, who was going to play the bass, he, he had never touched a bass guitar before. Yeah. So I borrowed a bass guitar from a guy in my school that was in, in some death metal bands. Uh, I just asked him, like, do you have a bass? And he's like, yeah, can we borrow it? Yeah. So yeah. I brought that. And, and when it was time to put down the bass on the demo, it was the first time Anders ever held a bass, you know? So, um, but, it, it, you know, when I think back on it, it's, it's really nice because it was so, uh, um, you know, underground. And, and we stayed at Dan's place. He lived in a one-room apartment. It, it was never talk about anything else, like, where can we stay? We just went there. And he was yeah. like, yeah, I can sleep on a mattress in, in my course, yeah. living room. Yeah. And very fond memories of that time and doing that stuff. And I remember coming home taking the train back home and I couldn't wait because back then we didn't have like, a, a, well, maybe you had a, a Walkman, but yeah. um, I couldn't wait to get back home to listen to the demo. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You and, had the cassette and, in your pocket and you were like, yeah, yeah exactly. And I think I, I listened to through it like 10 times when I yeah. got back home, I just lie down on my bed and it's like, wow, this is us. This is our band. But you, knew, you, you must've <laughs> known you were sitting on something though, because like the feeling of listening to demos constantly in rehearsals and whatever. But one of the things that really makes that demo stand out is the tone, the sound is, is really quite big for a, a demo of that period. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's the, the Paradise Lost influence that, you know, and, and we were listening to um, some Marillion stuff, actually. Um, Marillion? Yeah, because Anders had seen that they used... Uh, uh, delay pedal for the guitars and like when doing the lead guitars and stuff yeah. and i think bands back then didn't really no do that they were just playing fast solos you know yeah uh, but we wanted to so we he bought a delay pedal and when we brought it with us to the studio and dan was like wow this is uh, this is actually the way to go this sounds amazing he yeah. hadn't really tried that before yeah and I it think makes that's sense uh, when you think about it. It makes sense when you think yeah. about it because before that, everybody's playing fast, and so yeah. the delay just adds more cavernous noise to something yeah, but, fast. Exactly. If you're playing slow, you can. Yeah. You can add that, and it adds a lot of depth and, and atmospheric <laughs> to everything. So we rehearsed, we wrote riffs with that pedal, and it's just 
made the sound pretty much for us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's one of the key things that that made the demo what it is and, and also our our sound for the future to build on. You know, the, the, the whole atmospheric, uh, layered, whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's just uh, the digital delay pedal. <laughs> and the choice at the time to go with the sort of more black metal imagery as opposed to the kind of normal death metal kind of imagery. Um, yeah. That, that always kind of like, because I think I interviewed Anders in 93 for my fanzine um, mm. back then, and I have all the, the old photographs of the grotesque yeah, yeah, yeah. shirts and the axes and corpse paints and stuff and of course yeah. we were doing the same kind of thing because we were tinging more into black metal than kind yeah of yeah doom. i remember you guys weren't really fitting into the kind of stockholmy death metal sound you know so you were sort of doing your own thing there you know yeah and i think that's why we wanted to use this uh you know the, the whole corpse paint thing we wanted to sort of prove a point that we we're a little bit darker uh, because we were listening to a lot of the black metal stuff and especially Bathory. And, and uh, at the same time, we had this more maybe UK, British kind of doom yeah. metal sound that we wanted also to do. So it was a weird combination maybe, but I think it worked because we, um, I don't know, we, we, we loved both styles. Mm. And so we wanted to look the part and we wanted to sound like something that was, you know, uh, very profound and sorrowful. And, yeah, isn't it, um, isn't, it, yeah. Isn't, isn't it strange though? Like I'm, I'm a huge fan of the exact same stuff in that, you know, the first um, Madame Bride, you know, let's say the God, you know, what is the demo? God is Alone, Symphonaire, first mm. e- album and EPs, you know, the Thrash and Naked Limbs, Gothic is top, yeah, yeah. top 20 metal albums ever made for me. Mm. and not at 18 either it's a bit further up somewhere you know yeah and <clears throat> ireland was very close stylistically like you won't find a power metal band from ireland back no. then. everything was kind of gloomy and sodden yeah, yeah. you know sort of they had this dark sort of veil drawn up so we felt a great kinship with early anathema you know all those kind of bands um, early part of sauce and it was odd because it was like you guys were one of the few bands uh, you know not to be surreptitious but or if that's the right word up there who seem to sort of get the same kind of vibe you know mm, yeah and, and it's weird because most people it's only now in the last couple of years people start talking about it again i remember being at like parties or you know like with people who are a bit younger and you're going oh have you ever heard you know as the flower withers by modern bride you mean i can see her into ruins of everest and this that and the other or mm. whatever modern van records bands and they're like no let's never listen to that it's like how is this not being reappraised sorry a lot to unpack in that question there but Catatoni seemed to be one of the few bands that also was tapping into that kind of sorrowful, sad, yeah, northern English kind of sound, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We love that. And and as you say, you a lot of the influence we had at the time was from coming from the UK, from from PL, My Dying Bride, Anathema. Um we thought that that was the scene that we wanted to belong to because it had um uh, you know, first of all, a very special sound, mm. but also, of course, the the artistic side of it, um, the the lyrics of, of really gloomy stuff. You know, we, we love that and yeah. still do. You know, yeah. so uh, 
definitely more kinship with that in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were definitely clever people up there, up, yeah. in, up the north of England, clever musicians, clever people. I mean, whether it was when you sat in a room, I remember sitting in a room somewhere with Anathema um, really, really early on, like um, 93, 94, and the brothers were just messing around and they just sort of jammed their way in acoustics through most of Seventh Son and sang it just yeah. like off the cuff. And you were like, oh, okay, these are just proper musicians. They can yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, they definitely. can do anything off the cuff. And the PL, yeah. you know, when you, like, oh, you're talking to Aaron and Nick and you're like, oh, right, okay, these aren't, these are clever people writing clever <laughs> yeah, yeah. things to say, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I, I know what you mean. We sort of had a kind of half a foot in that kind of scene. And we went to the old Academy studios a bunch of times. You never managed to go there, did you? No, we didn't. I've been there. Um, the old, old one. The one in the old but, building in the, yeah. in, in like, yeah, with the downstairs basement studio and everything, like the, the original yeah. Academy. I was there once when my dying bride was recording some album, but we never recorded that. But we we were talking about it because we thought it had the, yeah, you know, the the original sound for this kind of music that we it, were doing. It, it would have so. seemed to make sense to me. Um, maybe yeah. somewhere around 90, 96. So what what album were you on in ninety six? It's um, where you're just after Brave Murder, Murder Day, Day, maybe. So yeah. Between Brave Murder Day and Discouraged Ones or something like this, yeah. maybe you know. But having yeah, said that, maybe then. But having said that, having skipped ahead a year or two there, but the sound on Brave Murder Day itself is so iconic. Maybe it only it had to be done where you did it. You know what I mean? Probably, yeah, yeah, I think so because it's such a weird album, and the, the, even the sound is is weird on that. But it in in a good way, you know. Yeah. It's it's very uh, yeah focused on being very repetitive and and dark. So, yeah. but I think that 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 would have worked as well in in the Academy. Yeah, Studio I think so. Well, Mags then. was Mags was great. Like the old, the basement room where they had these old like TV like monitor yeah. channels that you could see, like speak to each other. So it was like you were like yeah. like something like you were you know like being caught on a camera having you know robbing a shop or something. These old yeah. black and white cameras, yeah. and then <clears throat> and it was in the middle of a terrible estate, you know. And you would go around to just for something to do to just go around to the shop, and there'd just be scenes of domestic violence yeah. you go to the local pub and the darts would stop in midair and everyone would turn around to look at you and you might as well have said hey we're irish don't mind us yeah <laughs> in england yeah. in 1995 or six when we first went actually 94 we first went there to mix the first album was maybe not the best thing to no <laughs> but you know, it had a really gloomy vibe and of course mags was great and keith was great and all that kind of stuff it's kind of strange that you know, you didn't manage to record anything there, even like an EP or something, you know? Yeah, I think we talked about it many times, but we never, I think it's also down to budgets and stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. In the early days, we would never have a budget that would even fly us there, you know? Yeah, so, exactly. yeah. Uh, we had to do it in Sweden. And so what about Dance of December Souls then? I mean, this is a, the, the no fashion records. Is it, yeah. is it finally on Spotify? It must be, no? I think so, yeah. Because for, year, for uh, years, no, for none of No Fashion's stuff was was up there. You know, it was impossible to even find the reissues. But then Peaceful reissued it, right, about two years ago. Yeah, right? they did. Yeah, so it should be there. Yeah, the No Fashion thing was always a, a cluster of of uh, bullshit going on. There was um, some, you know, the, the the label was bought from Thomas, the original guy. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, and him. yeah, and then. Uh, you know the, the the contracts weren't done right so i think the label that bought the rights they 
didn't have the rights to to everything and that's probably why it's not on spotify some of the stuff so yeah it, it was a, a mess definitely so let's say but let's go back to this 92 to 93 four period i mean are you are you i never saw because i used to collect you know flyers you'd get like gig flyers you know from trading tape trading and you yeah, yeah, yeah. all on my wall i don't remember seeing you guys playing was it just because you didn't have a bass player or were you playing any shows or not in round let's say between the demo and uh, dance uh, we played one show and it was just the day before going to uh, back to Unisound to record uh, the dance album. Right. So that was our first show and our only show, I think, for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Until actually when Brave Mother Day was released. So only one show. And it, we only played the three songs from the demo. And then we uh, okay. went off because we had some new songs, but we didn't want to play them yet yeah, yeah. <laughs> for some reason <laughs> uh, i know what you mean versus i remember we played a gig in 94 with them um, decomposed and corpse and we had to make a lot we had to record these we had five new songs so in the end of course all the gear is fucked and everything's a mess and whatever and and we just went on and went oh, well we've got to make a live you know live soundboard recording of new songs for cacophonous records back in the day and we just went okay and we just went oh let's just play all the new songs which no one knew yeah. Just like off the cuff, so everybody's there to see, like, oh, they're going to play some songs in the demo. Yeah. Uh, let's just, you know, make a teenage decision to just play. No, only new ones. Yeah. Nothing that anybody okay. knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we didn't want to play anything new because, probably because we didn't know the songs too well. Yeah. Even though we were going to record the album the next day, but it just felt right for us to do the, the three songs because we were the opening band on that show. And, uh, we were so nervous. Yeah, uh, we actually made made an attempt to to go back home before before the show after sound check. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> but it was so far off, so we couldn't really <laughs> get back home. I, so I, uh, we had to go back to the the, the venue and, and do the gig. Actually, wow! Uh, but I was so nervous, and I yeah. wasn't even singing. I was just playing drums on that show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, good memories. It was, um, I know Edge of Sanity was supposed, they were supposed to be the headliner of that show, but, sure. and we were talking to Dan because we were gonna see him the next day uh, in the studio. So it's like, oh, it's nice. We, we, we get to see you at the show as well. But then he, uh, I think he gave me a call on the same day or the day before the show saying like, oh, we're not gonna make it to the gig because our guitar player uh, has to go to prison. <laughs> Because he had been uh, drunk driving or something, okay. so they couldn't make it. No, so had, I think you had an opportunity. You had an opportunity there to say burnt the church and, you know, yeah, no, great no. folklore about him. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think hypocrisy was headlining instead. Oh, okay, right. Uh, and there were some other bands. Uh, one band called Internal Decay, Swedish, oh, yeah. uh, and one band called Obscurity. I think not the the old one, but Oh yeah, another old obscurity. Damnation, but they had a damnation yeah. pride obscurity. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, it was cool, cool uh, happening, but very, very nervous. But then nothing happened for a couple of years, right? No, uh, we didn't play uh, any more shows until we got uh, our first <laughs> tour for yeah. for Brave Mother Day. Because that's what that's really funny. Because I. 
um, the, <laughs> it's a long kind of story to unpack, but the I think the final or one of the last shows on that tour was Dublin. Yeah. And it was upstairs in a bar where we had to make the stage. There was no stage, no proper lights or anything. Hundreds and hundreds of people. But yeah. I, end I ended up singing like one or two songs. I know, songs. yeah. Yeah, because Anders was like, I'm so tired of singing. Can you just sing yeah. a few songs, you know? As I had my fanciest velvet shirt and I was like, yeah, of course, I'll <laughs> sing a few songs. Yeah. But, but you you left the tour after, what, three or four days or something? or Oh, uh, yeah, something like that. A week, maybe. Yeah. Uh, because I, I, I got a cold. Uh, had a fever and there was no heating in the bus and this was like November or something and you know I was just I was done yeah. I couldn't do it it's, it's a strange environment when you first do it especially if you do it in winter in as you say the back of a shitty bus the first time I really yeah. did it I loved it but at the same time I found after four days oh I'm like, like it's gone yeah. yeah it's over exactly yeah uh, so I had to go home which was a shame because I really I had been looking forward to this tour for a long time and, and it was great the few yeah. days I was on it, but, yeah. uh, and then Anders had to, uh, learn how to sing all the songs, learn the lyrics and learn how to play and sing at the same time. And, yeah. 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 Uh, I think that, that was a bit of a hassle, but he made it, you know, yeah, and, he did, yeah, and, for sure. Yeah. In, and in, it in worked. The, in the woods, what a curious bunch of characters they were. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were so huge at the time, but nobody knew what they looked like. Yeah, and then they came exactly. out on stage wearing like Hawaiian shirts and jumpers and stuff. It was yeah, short hair. Yeah, yeah, it really, really surprised people. Yeah, me too. And I think it was like Voice of Destruction or something. Yeah, South South African band. Yeah, they were okay actually, as I remember. They were very. Uh, um, yeah, they weren't too bad. They looked like Cannibal Corpse, but they sounded like something else. They were yeah. like emotional thrash death metal or something. Let that's, me tell you, that's my let, recollection of it. Let me tell you a funny story. That that gig in Dublin, me and my friend and Paul from Arcane Sun, and um, we put that gig on. And we we had never, we'd done like local bands and Chapel of Rest and Thust of Filed. And a few of the people had done different shows, you know, like the demo shows for English bands who'd got the ferry across. We'd never dealt with um a band and like a tour bus. We didn't really know what we're yeah. doing at all, you know, but there were hundreds and hundreds of people there, like 400 and something people or 400 people. Yeah. You'll probably be in the comments now going, no, it was 382 people or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, the, but the night before, I remember we didn't know what to do. We didn't know what a rider was. So me and the girlfriend at the time stayed up like, like for hours making hundreds and hundreds of sandwiches and like okay. all sorts of like, like things you give like, um, school kids or something, you know, we'd no clue. Yeah. And we laid yeah, them all course. out. They were in plastic bags on this. Um, and we said to the, everybody who arrived, like, oh, well, the sandwiches are just in plastic bags. And I just never forget Anders looking at me, just like, oh, God, please, some hot food. And we're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, you should give people hot food. Just never entered yeah. our heads that you got, you know, the bands wouldn't want to eat just only cheese sandwiches in 1995 or whatever it was, you know? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it it was our first tour, so we didn't know what to expect, probably either. But yeah. after being on on a, on a tour for a while, and if you only get sandwiches, probably it's, it's <laughs> time to get some. Yeah, of course. Some of course, <laughs> it's just the fucking whoa, whoa, I, you know, arguing over what the contents were. I don't know. Will they eat cheese? I don't know. I suppose they will. Will, they, will we put it? You know, just kind of like sitting up all night yeah. making sandwiches because you've no clue what was happening, you know, but you yeah. then, but then, oh, so around this time is where you, 
stop doing the singing and just move to the drums for Brave Murder Day. What was behind that choice? Um, because I tried to sing on on the, the album. It was just the. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I'm fixed. I, I think I lost the technique. Yeah. Uh, and I never really got it back, uh, which is weird because I remember back in the day I didn't have a problem at all to yeah. scream and and, yeah. and do the growling stuff. But uh, when we uh, we had finished the, all the the recordings for Bray Murder Day and, and it was just the vocals left to do. And I was trying for a day or something, and yeah. it didn't sound right. So yeah. I thought, you know, I'm I'm, I'm done. You yeah. know, I, I don't want to ruin this album by singing like yeah. some fucking bum, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we called our friend Mikael from Opeth, and, yeah, yeah. you know, that's, uh, the rest is history, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So I, I never really got back to, to growling, unfortunately. It's weird. Like, I still do it now and again in primordial but for sure um the the, the, the ah, like this the hysterical over the top almost varg like ah, of the early 90s yeah. that just came like blip like that and the, ah, that the volume of that went lower and the singing yeah. volume went up till now yeah. like and, and I look I look at the I used to look at the singing singing songs in the set and go oh fuck okay this is high with the singing like singing, yeah. singing. now I look at the ah, songs as the yeah. Oh, <laughs> where, where does his voice come from now? You know, it's just yeah. like it's still in there, but it's it's gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. But, you, but you just kind of felt like you'd lost it altogether, or what? Yeah, but I think maybe the voice was still there, but I couldn't recall the technique how to do it, mm. um, and I don't know why. And I've tried ever since, you know, many times, and it just don't appear anymore. Do you remember the band from Holland called Occult? Remember yeah. they were like Black Thrash Band. They were pretty good. Yeah, yeah. The demo was killer. And they made their first album and prepared to meet thy doom. And um Sephiroth, Maurice, um ended up having to record the vocals with a like a, a some sort of throat pain. And I never forget he had the harshest ah, Vorfalak yeah. style black metal voice. But on the album it was like ah, ah, <laughs> ah. it was just nothing yeah. there, you know? Yeah. So I suppose as you say I mean, the rest of as you say, the rest is history. You made, I guess, an executive decision that turned out to be the right decision, I guess. I think so. For for us, I mean, it, it maybe wouldn't have worked for, for another band, but for us, mm. we were already taking certain steps towards, you know, what we're doing today, actually. Uh, you, there were was some clean vocals on... on Brain yeah, yeah. I mean, Rain Room. Is Sorry, it, that's the song, isn't it? Or Day? Is it Day? Yeah, rain Day. Room. Yeah. So that's yeah. Rain Room has uh, some clean vocals as well, but Day is all clean vocals. Yeah, yeah. And that was the first step, and it and, and it doesn't sound very pretty, but at least we we thought, you know, maybe this is the way to go for yeah. us because I couldn't do the growls anymore. We don't want to have a like a guest growler on every album. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, just to save the the band, pretty much, we decided yeah. to go for the clean vocals. And but this was this was today, what was happening at the time, though. You know, I mean, you've got my dying bride is moving into clean vocals. Yeah, yeah. PL, like everybody, not even. I mean, as it as much as it matters as um or you know in a grand scheme of things, I was singing more. Lots of bands, Moonspell was singing more. Lots of bands yeah. were moving towards trying to sing. So definitely. So, but that 
that small moments of Brave Murder Day, was that, that, was that the first time you were trying clean singing? Pretty much, yeah. We, we did, oh, no, hang um, on, you've done it. There was a bit on the demo, but that was Dan Swano, right? Yeah, that was Dan. But we did a song, just one song called Scarlet Heavens, yeah. the split with you guys. Yeah, yeah. And that was my first attempt of doing. Okay. But that was more of a, like a Sisters of Mercy trying yeah. one the voice. I got so, yeah. yeah. So it was different. So, that no, was the, 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 that was yeah. an odd thing, though, that I just yeah. wrote a letter and went, hey, do you have a song you've never used? Hey, let's do a split. Like, yeah. you could organize it just with like two random, three random letters at the time. But yeah. when you, but that song has got a Nephilim Sisters vibe. But were you, were you sure yet that you had like a singing voice inside you, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've probably been singing in the shower and, and thinking like, you know, I, I can put that, pull that off. Uh, yeah. But of course, when it comes to being in a studio, it's all, all different. Uh, yeah. But you know, Dan Dan was very uh encouraging. I remember that and and saying like, "Oh, you sound like Carl McCoy uh, mixed mm. with Andrew Eldridge." <laughs> Just to be nice to <laughs> <Yeah>. believe <laughs> um, it. Isn't it interesting though because I'm a big heavy a traditional heavy metal fan, but when yeah. Primordial started to do clean vocals, there's a song on the demo and our rehearsal demo from 92, but the things I was trying to copy were Christian Death um mm. Arc Arcturus My Angel. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, that EP, and I was yeah. trying to do a bit of Nemesis Day of Retribution ish, but my main yeah. thing was like Arcturus and Christian Death. So I took it from Goth and sort of that early Arcturus, not from. I didn't want to sound like Dio because that was like a million miles away. You couldn't do that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, so when you were like trying to do the your the clean vocal, it was coming more from Goth than heavy metal, really. When you think about it. Yeah, for me, definitely, because for me, heavy metal and still is, you know, it's uh, connected to being uh, great singers. Yeah. You know, professional uh, range and, and technical abilities. And I didn't have that and still haven't, you know. So <laughs> to me, it's more, I think uh, later on when we did the Scourge once, it was more uh, Robert Smith from The Cure. But before that, it was a little bit more yeah. uh, sisters stuff. Yeah, Actually, definitely. You know, it was a huge influence. Was Monumentum, the demo of Monumentum, yeah. the in absentia? Not is it in absentia? Mosaic Hormeticum demo, which is mm. like that. The, the totally obscure. The split with Rotting Christ. Yeah, and, super. You know, yeah, so amazing. And that, that had kind of Robert Smith via black metal yeah. kind of vocals. That that demo is in my top five of that, along with the Catatonia demo, are stuck in that shuffled in that top five of that period. You know, that's cool. Yeah, Monumentum was such a, a weird band for the time. Yeah. Uh, because they were doing something, I think, no one else did that. No one. It was and, like, uh, The Cure and, and Black Metal or something. Yeah. And they had this... It was pretty much all clean guitars, mm. as I remember it. But it, really it managed to be the, so... Yeah. And so dark. Yeah. Yeah. Super dark and very uh, captivating. Yeah. yeah. I liked it. And uh, yeah, Roberto, uh, the main guy, was our record, record label boss for, for many years, which was fun. And I remember us trying to say, like, you should do another Monumentum album. And he was, oh, no, uh, he didn't have one. the time. He yeah, I know. But, but, but we tried to, yeah. you know, encourage him a little bit. So, no, he, he's a great guy. And that's a very cool band, yeah. I think. 
yeah especially the especially the demo somewhere or other i had to split with rotting christ which is i think one of the best seven inches of that time mm. but the 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 the, uh, the demo on CD or something. I think I have a. I don't know why I'm looking over there, but I think I have like it's in like a 500 piece demo thing, but um, or on CD thing. But by this stage now, like what was the what was the next tour after? Sorry, I'm trying to drag you back to the mid 90s now. The, um, the, the tour where you realize like okay, like you know I sometimes I look at now I look at a tour like with glee of the cities I go to and I go because I feel like I'll fucking smash this thing and you know, just my general, you know, yeah. whatever. But, but back when you, you were given, oh shit, we have 17 days in a row. And you're going, I don't know how to sing more than four hours in a row. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> have, you know, and you don't know what to do on stage or with your hands or do I hold the mic? Do I not? Did you have like this? I had like an existential dread crisis somewhere in my twenties when the first ever tour was like, here you go. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah. I think we, uh, it took, a long time until we got another tour because I remember doing the Discouraged Ones album. Yeah. Uh, no touring for that. Not really even a single gigs. show, I think. Really? You didn't do any gigs at all? No. That's so weird. Because I was still playing drums on that album and we tried some some other drummers and it didn't work out. So we didn't have a lineup for a, for, uh, for a gig. And, right. <clears throat> and then we signed to Peaceville and we released the first album with them which is uh, decision. Yeah. yeah yeah and that's when we got the chance to do our next tour so we did uh i think the scandinavian leg for paradise lost when they did the the host tour okay right yeah, yeah. Um, and it was just maybe five or six shows or something <clears throat> and uh it was kind of horrifying because i remember when i, I was doing the few Bremer the day shows as a singer you know it was still the death metal thing you could yeah, do yeah. the headbang and, yeah um and then when we did uh the tonight's tour there with pl it was horrifying because first of all we were the the support band um we didn't have any uh stage uh, we didn't have anything light yeah. or anything and yeah. all of a sudden i had to uh focused on the singing and I didn't as you said I didn't know what to do with my hands yeah, or, yeah. so it was uh, a, a brutal awakening for me as yeah. being the singer uh the, I, the, yeah I found that I, I I I I realized the microphone stand is my shield so like yeah. the mixture of David Coverdale and Carl McCoy I would always hold on to the microphone stand for dear yeah. life because without it my hand I'm just like what am I doing with this hand yeah. And then all of a sudden you have to learn monitors, you know, and, and you don't know what to do. So you're like, oh, give me a bit of this. Instead of going only singing in the front, yeah. please give me give me a handout. And can we have yeah. it here and here? You you haven't a clue what you're doing, you know, and then. Oh, no, of course. You know, and then uh, so I always first of all, I realized like I used to then run around to compensate. So like my friend is like, she's like, Just stop running around. You're like. Yeah. Black metal Bruce Dickinson, it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> just stand still. She's like, look at Nephilim. And you know, they just yeah. stand there. And I was like, oh yeah, you can just stand still. But yeah. That first moment when you play that first show, where you're like, oh God, I, I like I need to sing this in key. Were you like yeah. super anxious about where the, yeah, yeah. where's the pitch? Yeah. <laughs> it gives me yeah, it's like, horrible. Yeah, I'm getting like I have sweats thinking about that first. Yeah. Oh fuck, you know. 
It was horrible. And we had a, a we did a, a a Jeff Buckley cover on the album. Oh, what? Yeah, and oh yeah, and course. we yeah yeah, and we were gonna play that live as well. What on really? that tour? And I was like, What's the name of that song again? That's Nightmares by the Sea. Nightmares by the Sea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Would that you, was um, brutal. It, what's before that? Sweet Nurse, or is that on Last Fair Deal, right? Yeah. That's one of my yeah. favorite songs from that record. No, that's from Last Fair Deal, isn't it? Sweet Nurse. Yeah, it is, yeah. It's the ninth or tenth song. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like that, but it feels like this period of the band is building up to Last Fair Deal. Like, to me, that's... It was like, pretty much, yeah, definitely. It feels like, that to was... me, that's one of my favorite records of this period. It feels yeah. like the culmination of the previous two records, which were great. But this was that this had one of the most, again, open, huge productions, an amazing drum sound, amazing tone, really rich tone and everything. And it just felt like, all oh, right, this period has like, because, you know, when you mm, yeah. bands <clears throat> have different kind of periods. Um, so do you have the first black metal period, then this, that, yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff. But that was the one that sort of went, all oh, right, OK, this is a band that's yeah. about to take off into some other level. But was that when it, was that when you felt the same thing, or the touring started, or the you know? No, it was pretty much the album. Just I think tear, the song. Tear like, gas, and, tear gas was the like the hit song, kind of wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was the single song. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. Um, just the songwriting for that album yeah. was uh, definitely stepping up. Uh, Anders was he, he was working hard on the songs, and uh, I was working hard on the, on the vocals as well. You know, trying to improve and, and do some harmonies and stuff. So I yeah, think yeah. it just everything just fell into place with that very album. And I think also that Peaceful wanted to. Uh, I mean, of course, the, tonight's decision album. They sent us out on a tour with PL, and that was good. But I think for the next one, they they really wanted to, uh, you know, go for it with with Catatonia. So we had more time in the studio we had better budget and and it was all just a step up on the ladder did you get to go to america on that one or no we all i think we did one show uh just on the milwaukee metal fest oh, it was around that very time. yeah <laughs> okay so the first time in america and it was the, the most the worst the, the worst gig i've ever done yeah, <laughs> you were stuck say. between like, let's say, like Cannibal Corpse and uh, fucking Impetigo or something, or yeah, know, yeah. And also, we we got sort of tricked into because they didn't want us to bring any any gear at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because we were going on a tourist visa, and they said, uh, just send us the specs, and and we'll get you the exact same stuff as you use. Yeah. And we did that, and and of course, when we got there, there's like. Oh, there's uh, uh, two uh, Fender Stratocasters you can use. It's like, do you have like a, a distortion pedal? No, but there's some gain on the on the amp that you can. <laughs> okay. So it was just, yeah. yeah. Because we had a lot of stuff, you know, clean guitar. Of course. Yeah. You want to switch that, but we couldn't do that. It was yeah. just horrible, totally horrible. No sound check, no nothing. But one thing I'm really fascinated, especially with Catatonia, is, and also with a bit with Tiamat, and I kind of see it a bit like, I look at sometimes the careers of, in my you know of Rush and The Cure. The Cure is one of the most fascinating bands to me that they can make pornography, one of the greatest albums ever made, but they mm -hmm. can also make Love Cats, and I still love Love Cats. Yeah, they yeah, can, me too. They can go from this incredible, con uh, seemingly contradiction between those two styles, and yeah. it took me a while after Last Fair Deal, for um, you know, 
to fall in love with the Catatonia albums after that. Because I mean, yeah, yeah. I went off somewhere other place with my listening taste. I think I went back to 1974, course, yeah. from 1974 to discover all the things that I'd not bothered with in the 90s that were from yeah. the 70s. Do you know what I mean? I just got yeah, super, yeah. super into, I don't know, Uriah Heep and Mountain and whatever else. Mm. Um, but it took me a while then to fall back, you know, to get back into, you know, Night is a New Day and all these records. And then, yeah. but Catatonia struck me as one of those bands that somehow you managed it. A bit like Tiamat, even though they had their ups and downs, who man who went from skulls and nails and bullets yeah. and black corpse paint and managed to navigate the waters where the metal scene doesn't want to quite let you go sometimes, but you were sort of you, you were allowed to move out of that, but like you know, kind of talk, you know pay homage a little bit or be, still be part of the metal scene. Yeah, but moved into some new territory, and it's not every band who gets to move like that you know what i mean and it always quite fascinated me with the band's career you know that i don't know what you what you mean did you feel like some sort of hmm, not pressure but like that you were moving through different musical careers i know when you're inside the bubble you don't really know how big a deal it is but for people when you know when some of the bands they love like adopt clean singing or yeah. other things they they fucking lose their back yeah, yeah they I, lose know. Their shit. I know i know but did you feel like you were pushing against that or you're just doing whatever you're doing? Sorry, a lot, lot of blah, 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 blah. That's the way. No, no, I, I know what you mean. I think when we first made the switch, uh, clean vocals with the Discouraged Ones album. Yeah. Just as you say, we were in the bubble and we thought this sounds so good. This is the way yeah, to yeah. go. Yeah. And we weren't really uh, prepared for what people would say. And we got a lot of for that album and, you know people get on with it and, and they either like it or or they just give up on the band which is fine with me you know yeah. so um i think we we kind of quickly got into a space as you say we were navigating mm. and we found a, a space where we felt totally comfortable doing what we were doing and we also still had a lot of support from from people so yeah. it, it's been a, a i should say a pretty comfortable journey uh, compared to maybe so, some other bands that that try to make this to make the same journey but you know maybe didn't have the the exact feel for what people were looking for do you know what make what 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 you're saying it fascinates me because i i have the feeling that if Catatonia had gone on tour, let's say for the first album, and it come out with leather and corpse paint and whatever, you'd be way more stuck in a moment because people Probably, would go, yeah. "Oh, do you remember when Catatonia used to like like Samael or something, or yeah. whatever?" And then people go, "Well, I don't like this do 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 dancing Samael because we won't worship him." But because yeah. um, because you never you were quite absent from the stage. For years definitely yeah you didn't start until you were singing no so you, so you kind of had a, a, a you the first chapter which maybe would have held you a bit back into the metal scene was kind of only musical it wasn't the stage it wasn't physical Did yeah you know, does that make any sense yeah that yeah definitely i mean i think you're right because um uh, the first impressions of a band is what what's gonna last probably and yeah. If people have no impressions in, in a live environment, yeah, there's nothing to compare to. So 
that was probably a lucky shot for us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I re we didn't get to go on tour much, but we did play gigs in 93, 94, and then go to Europe in 97. But I was, you know, um, full on double bullet belt, um, corpse paint, um, but, but flouncy white pirate shirt. Yeah. I wanted to be like Martin Ayn. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, so it was Martin Ayn via Christian Death, via Fields of Nephilim. It's like a sort of black metal, I don't know, um, scoff or something like this, you know? Yeah, I like it. But yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I still put on the, the stuff and whatever. But but the fact was, if we then made a wholesale change into something else, people would go, oh, yeah, but look at this. You looked like this. and But you guys yeah. sort of, you didn't have that because you weren't out touring those first few records, you know? No. That's good. That's, that's good for us now, probably. Yeah. But also, but also, you quite you quite successfully managed. It strikes me as a band who managed their career business wise, as you said with Anders. After that, some bands mismanaged it. Like, yeah. say for example, Tiamat, they were like huger than all of us. Everyone, mm. Wild Honey. Oh yeah. And, and somehow, completely fucked it. Yeah, mismanaged their entire like, and that's a band who still should be pulling a thousand people a night somehow, somewhere. I think so. Yeah, but they were definitely going, and and I I don't even know what happened because I lost them pretty much after maybe Clouds, and I didn't I wasn't really into Wild Honey, and, and so I haven't really checked out what they sound like the, a, a little bit. But well, they made some you know, good. To me, it's too. just still the same kind of stuff that they do. Yeah. But I don't know why they uh, took a dive. Isn't it interesting, though, how some bands manage their careers? And like, say, Moonspell seemed to be quite good at managing their yeah. career. Because none of us are selling any of the records we used to. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, I will. I mean, you know, I mean, I will say that Primordial is a bit different because the first records, I have no idea. But the, the records in the end middle bit, you know, 2005 on were the ones that sold. But like we weren't, so we weren't hung by what was the big one from 96 or 95, like some bands. But certainly some bands seem to manage their career a bit better than us. Career, I put that in. Yeah. Rabbit ears, you know. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it is career, but yeah. There's the house you bought with your career. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, of course. I mean, some people are, are more business minded than others. And if you have one of those in your band, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and I think Moonspell, they're they're bright guys, you know. They yeah. they they know what to expect and what they can demand and, and they manage to do it. Do uh, you, you strike me as a man who um in all the times we've chatted and you know hung out and whatever, I mean, sometimes like you intend the music to be taken very seriously, but when somebody actually meets you in person and tells you the very serious thing that it meant to them, I feel quite awkward and I, I can't because Irish people are not, are not very good at taking a compliment we sort of oh okay yeah but, yeah thanks make a joke and yeah you know I'm sort of I'm awkward a little bit with this sort of when people get really really mm. emotional and sentimental and so I can only imagine what it must be like for you you must get that times five yeah times. and 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 I think we we we're pretty much the same in Sweden you know when someone mm. compliments you uh, it's like it it will always in my mind be like i'm I'm no better than anyone else you know sure don't give me that stuff i mean i I'm just lucky enough to to have made a song that appeals to you and and 
that's it, you know. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's awkward, definitely. Well, what, I mean, what I mean is when you write um, personable, personal lyrics that are not fantasy, they're not traditional heavy metal escapism, no. they're, they're more introverted, they're like, this is, you know, we're not looking outward, we're looking inward. And so yeah. sometimes people will take that so incredibly seriously, and I mm. love it, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But do you get? Do, does it ever get to the times where you just feel a little bit... Um, not uncomfortable is not the right word, but it it gets difficult when people take it quite so seriously, and then they meet you, and then you don't know what to do or where to go. I feel yeah, yeah, happy. absolutely. I mean, um, absolutely. Uh, of course, I'm I'm flattered that yeah. people absolutely. find you know whatever solace or or, uh, and that's what I also look for in lyrics myself. You know, yeah, but. Yeah. Um, when someone comes up to me saying, you know, being very specific about certain things and, and yeah, being yeah. maybe a bit obsessive, yeah. that's that's uh, uncomfortable for me. It's it's like uh, that's not what I signed up for. You know, well, if it becomes um, too close, you know, I have no problem talking to people, saying thanks and hey and, and you know. I like that, but when it becomes a little bit too much, it's it's um, yeah, as you say, you you don't know where to go. It's like okay. It's, well, the Irish the Irish thing to do is to just make a stupid joke about it all and go yeah, go on, let's have a fucking drink and you know hey hey it's yeah. fine yeah because we because we also have this cultural thing rolling with primordial, so you get people who take you know coffin ships and the whole Irish heritage lineage mm. family. Well, family, God, sorry, <laughs> but some very, <laughs> you know, serious people take these things, um, and I love it. But they they get very, very, very intense sometimes, you know. Yeah. And we all have to go. Oh, let's just do a shot of whiskey and kind of. Yeah, that's that's maybe the remedy. I'll start doing that. Um, I offer. I will offer people whiskey when they get too close. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because people do, but and that's what I love about metal in the sense that, like, I it's the thing that I love and sort of uh, like push back against it. In that, I remember having a conversation with Millet from Creator around the time of um, what's this album, Outcast, where they kind of went Endorama, where they went a bit goth. Endorama, yeah. It's good Gothic. songs on it. Good songs on yeah. it. A bit gothy, but I didn't. We didn't need to see Millet wearing a kind of tight no, shirt. No, but. I remember we were sitting somewhere at some bar and I was blah, blah, blah. And he just sort of said to me, like, if I didn't make this record, I couldn't make Violent Revolution, you know? No, of course. In the sense that metal fans take very extreme ownership of the bands that they love. Like, they take it yeah, yeah. super personally when you change the logo, you change the singing, you change mm. the something, you, your haircut, whatever. Yeah. You know? And I love that. But I also find I like I love the way that people take such incredible ownership of it. But also, um, for example, with Catatonia, there's a you, that's a band where you've moved through so myriad changes of logo to this, that, and the other. Yeah, and yeah. Do you ever like? It must be hard to. Um, just, or maybe it's not hard. I'm not sure. The the acknowledgement that that you're moving through, as I say, navigating totally different waters every time, with like mm. the idea, like I oh, will just change the logo, and then somebody goes, I have a very yeah. big problem. He'll change the logo. You know? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. No, I think uh, you know maybe 
15 years ago, that was a bigger problem. Than yeah, I, not now. Right now, it feels like, you know, uh, either people don't care anymore what yeah, we yeah. do because maybe they're, they're so attached to the music anyway. Yeah. And, or we don't care because, you know, we're You're soon right. getting too old for the sentiment. You're right. <laughs> it feels like something people cared a bit more at the end of the 90s, yeah. the early 2000s. Somehow, exactly. kind of pre, you know, pre-Instagram yeah, yeah. DMs, it felt a bit more yeah. serious and heavy then, didn't it? Is that yeah, just our absolutely. age? Is that just our age or what? Maybe, because we, uh, or at least, you know, as I grow older, I care less about stuff, yeah. uh, which is nice for me because I cared about a lot of stuff back in the day uh not just what people would think about me but also uh, you know i have to do this because it's uh even like going visiting your your grandparents which i thought was boring yeah. but i would do it because it was expected of me but yeah. these days yeah. i would say no to that if they were alive because i think it's boring you know and i think that's a good thing about getting older because you don't you don't have to um, do exactly as what's expected from you. Mm. I think it's a com I think what it is, it's a process of discovering what are the things that you shouldn't give a fuck about and the things you should give a fuck about. Yeah, exactly. A, a lot of being young and approaching middle age is being confused about either or. Mm. And Definitely. so if you think about, if you think, well, <laughs> on this hand, I really give a fuck about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. On the other hand, I give a fuck about singing in tune or having a voice or giving it, you know, then you're yeah. like, ah, we're first on the bill. Who cares? I'll just power or unpower yeah. through it. And yeah, okay, let's, let's go back to the other hand. And then as you get, yeah, the, go, the fun part. Yeah. Then, yeah. The fun part or whatever the other part is. And then you realize you go, well, you know, maybe you should, this other hand should be more important. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it so, is. Yeah. Trying to you make better decisions, but fewer maybe. When I you're still, older, I still make some stupid decisions. <laughs> yeah, me too. But we all do. But at least you have a, a clue of what you're doing. It's arguable, but it's true. And so, <laughs> and so, uh, what uh, we're bringing us full circle. Um, and so, what do you think you've learned anything from this pandemic break? Yeah, I was talking to um, our drummer uh, uh, Moyo. And we were both saying like, uh, you know, there's so much stuff that we have taken for granted before. Yeah. Like when we have stayed in the backstage in every city that we've been to. And we said now that, you know, you go and talk this to is, people? I mean, it's served to us, uh, you know, every European city that you could ever dream of visiting. Yeah. It's right there. And we sit in the backstage like moping and, and, listening to uh death metal uh so we said like you know yeah let's broaden our horizons a little bit if we get back to touring yeah, so yeah. visiting maybe some uh, cultural sites or just go to a cafe or whatever you know yeah, yeah. just yeah that's that's my main thing to take uh, a bigger for... to take a bigger bite out of it exactly yeah, yeah. and enjoy it more yeah, yeah. I mean, I have to say that, I mean, the last 10 years, I've really, before all the nonsense, um, 
enjoyed it so much and I always tried to take a bigger bite out of everything. I was then trying to encourage the other lads to like, come on, get out of the backstage. Yeah. You know, get off the phone, let's go and or, or even <laughs> just it's hilarious to go and or rewarding to have chats with go to the bar, go out with people, you know, go yeah. or whatever. I was always very a bit more Yeah, I know you're more like that, but <laughs> yeah, you know kind but, of, yeah. Yeah. You know? it, so, so it didn't it didn't affect my personality much but the introspection of uh, the thing I was trying to get at from the start was the idea that um, I liked never having a moment off I like never having an, a, a, I like fucking relentless whatever and then it's like oh you have 20 months of enforced oh, which you're yeah. angry at but the last few months we kind of went oh my god you really be, you've been doing this for 30 years how the fuck did that mm. happen yeah it's been quite a weird calm introspection yeah. you know like, have you pulled out any of your old records and gone, I listened to that and gone, fucking hell, this is way better than I remember it. Or <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because we're, we're releasing now a, a, a compilation of B-sides and, and bonus tracks and stuff. Mm -hmm. I think it's coming out this week or something. Yeah. <clears throat> and I had to go back to listen because some of the lyrics were missing. They weren't released anywhere wow. and I didn't have them because they were written on paper, as we talked oh, about yeah, earlier, yeah, yeah, yeah. and probably thrown in the bin. Yeah, probably. Uh, so when they were compiling this, yeah, they they like, what's the lyrics to this song? And I'm like, yeah. I don't know. So I had to listen to them, some yeah. of them, yeah, to yeah, figure yeah. out the lyrics. And then I, you know, I was like, wow, this is this is some good stuff here. You I'll know, tell you what's very one, one of my favorite things is Sounds of Decay. Oh yeah, this one of my favorite. What like my favorite few Catatonia uh, things? That's a, to me. That's one of the best EPs of this of this time. You know. Yeah, it's it's definitely cool. We wanted to build on the Bray Murder Day thing, uh, but just a little bit more uh, um, PL ish kind of. Yeah. Because we were, you know, still wanting to pay tribute to yeah. to those guys and their sound mainly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, I should have mentioned this fucking 20 minutes ago. But, <laughs> but how do you, like, so next year, is it, is, I mean, when I do these sort of interviews, I sort of don't know what we should say moving forward because we really don't know. You know, no. the, the monster energy variant could um, arrive and decide yeah. that we all can't do anything, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've said rather stubbornly on the podcast that, like, if there's no touring or traveling, I find it hard to see a reason to make heavy metal. I mean, I, I will make one more record or one more this or the other, but mm. to just be a square on a screen and just only be digital and then just mooch about at home, I find like that's not why I started being in a band. You know, to I started being in a band to be in a room with other people, and if yeah. you remove that, it it starts to be functionless or humanityless yeah. in a sense. You know. Yeah. I totally agree. I, I feel the same. You know, if there's another year, another two years of this, it's that's not gonna make it for me. You know, it's I want to be sweating. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Well, it's, we're gonna, we could do that, but we might have to become like farmers or like sort of yeah organic working at the organic market or something. Yeah, definitely. No, you're right. It's it's a sad fact, but it's the same for me. Mm. I don't want to do just albums or a live stream that's oh. that yeah. sucks you know yeah, yeah. it's it boring 
Yeah. All right. So here's the, here's what we're going to do. If in nine months time, we're not back to like 50, 70%, we're going to start some organic uh, market produce um, yeah. project and we're going to become, we're going to go back to the 1950s or the 1850s and we're going to become, uh, we're going to become farmers. I'm, I'm on. Yeah. Count me in. All right. <laughs> Let me press stop.